0: Good morning. Yesterday, a friend in our church brought over a gift for me. You know, we've been in this series, and today we conclude this series called The Church on Point and on Purpose. As we're looking at just what would it look like to be a focused church if we were to understand really what our mission is, and we were all to align ourselves with that with enthusiasm and joy, we would, we would get it. And because we got it, we would practice it. A friend of mine says people, they'll, they'll pitch in uh, if they buy in. If we understand what it's about, then we're more likely Uh, to get involved. And I I really believe that as a church. This is not a commercial for our church. It's just a a call to say, what does the the church, what should it be about? And I one week borrowed Jim Collins from his book, Good to Great, the example of the hedgehog. We put up the animal of the hedgehog and let you look at the cute little thing with its quills and it just doesn't do much it does it just does a few things it does those few things really well and just eliminates a lot of things and I've said as a church what if we were to be like a hedgehog uh, just doing a few things uh, really well and Ginger Matisse brought this by my house yesterday it's um, a hedgehog it's it's a comb (laughs) a screwdriver and a bottle opener so two of those three I think I could use uh, down the road. It's uh, certified by the Federal Aviation Administration, the National Transportation Safety Board, and the TSA. So I can put this hedgehog in my wallet, is that right, Ginger, and travel with it and brush my hair from time to time. <laughs> well, when, when we talk about focus, what is it that we're talking about? We looked at the Council of Jerusalem. We did a little bit of our church history, I think, without putting you to sleep. Uh, that's my job to stand up here for 35 minutes and not put you to sleep. But we looked at the Council of Jerusalem where the church was struggling with uh, not so much its mission but what was being added to the gospel because the gospel is this real pure message that's for everybody, that invites everybody in. It's a message of love and it liberates. And But then the church, religious people, started adding things to that gospel message. In Acts 15 at the Council of Jerusalem, they said, Peter and James and a lot of the leaders, they stood up and said, let's not make it difficult for people to get in. And it was repeated with some when the church at Galatia, they became foolish because what were they doing? They were adding on religious activity. And it said there in Galatians 5, 6, none of those things matter, only one thing counts. Do you remember what it said? Galatians 5, 6, only one thing counts, faith as it's expressed in love. And I've been asking you these weeks, all of August, what would our church look like? What would your life and mine look like if we really grew as disciples? What kind of disciples? What do we grow around here? What are we trying to produce? We're trying to produce followers of Jesus who grow in their faith, and that faith expresses itself in love. The goal of our instruction, Paul said, is what? Knowledge puffs up, love builds up. The goal of our instruction is love. With a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. That's what we're talking about. Growing faith. That faith expressing itself in love, that fires me up. And then these three weeks, we're looking at our values. We've had these values for four years from the very beginning of Fondren Church, a gospel community and mission, specifically gospel enjoyment. This is good news, y'all. When you have good news, you want to tell other people, right? Will Sanders isn't here today. He's on our staff, Will and Molly. Will was so excited. He's 25, 26 years old. And he just discovered the dry cleaners. He just discovered that you can take your shirts to the dry cleaner over here and for $1.50. They'll get you shirts looking like RG shirts up here, right? For only $1.50. I mean, the young guy, first, his, his, he's married, got a mortgage, his first full-time job, $1.50 at the dry cleaner. And he's tweeting about it, y'all. Will took to social media and was telling everybody. But you do that. Uh, he's out of town this, today, so we can talk about him in Pennsylvania. But, but you do that with good news, don't you? Gospel enjoyment And then we talked about intentional community and we talked about, uh, we're going to talk about today, a prayerful mission. Prayerful mission. God, what do you have for us? Too many times in scripture, there's incidences of men and women, leaders in the church who stop. In fact, Jesus, before the church started, he says, wait, wait here, wait here for what? Wait here, Acts 1-8, for power. Wait here for Holy Spirit power. And then we begin to see the gospel unfold, the church burgeon and grow. And throughout, we see men and women who had hands laid on them for prayer to set them apart for the mission. I want to ask you, before we talk about the church, let's talk about you. What drives your life? Now, when you drive something, to drive something means to guide it, to steer it, to aim it. In a direction, right? When you drive a car, where does it go? Down the street. When you drive a nail, where does it go? Into the wood. When you drive a golf ball, where does it go? Not in the fairway, that's right. Into the woods. Uh, That's exactly right. What drives your life? Is it money? Is it ambition? Is it fear? Is it ego? Is it security? What drives your life? What drives the church? Is it tradition? Is it trends? Is it meeting budget? Is it getting bigger? What drives the church? I want you to turn to page 814 if you have an ESV study Bible, a black one right in front of you. Uh, If you don't want to do that, and I've just taken the intimidation factor off, right? Nobody needs to see you turn slowly and look at the table of contents, right? Uh, Page 814, how good is that? I I put the cookies on the bottom shelf for you, and you know who you are. Page 814 is where we want you to turn. We're going to put the passage up on both of these screens here in just a second. And this is what drives Jesus. Okay, I ask you what drives your life. I ask us what drives the church, our church, or any church. But what drove, the most important question is what drove Jesus? I think we see it in Matthew chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 35 to 38. Let's do that. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest, into God's great harvest field. Jesus here, it tells us in Matthew 9, I think it's what drives him. He had compassion on the crowds. Compassion. Not judgment. Not hostility. Not disdain. Not superiority. He had compassion. In a crowd this size today, there's probably some of you who are going to tune in. I'm not advocating, but some of you are going to be drawn and sucked in into the vortex of the VMA Awards tonight. And you're going to see Miley Cyrus host. In fact, foner Church doesn't endorse that you watch it tonight. But some of you are going to. And it's going to be so easy, right, to be enamored with this, to see what she's going to do today. When I was some of your age, when I was in college, it was Madonna. Remember her? She was tame now compared to Miley Cyrus, right? But Jesus sees people. He sees the crowd. But don't lose that. Don't don't lose the word. Don't lose the meaning because of crowd. Because Jesus shows us story after story of individuals in the crowd. And Jesus looks at people. As some of us will look at the VMA Awards tonight, unlike that, where we will look with judgment and disdain and superiority. And Jesus sees people with compassion, even when they're at their worst, even when they're showing off for the almighty dollar, even when they're trying to garner attention and gain fame by being stupid and sinful. And Scripture tells us, you just saw it, it's up there, Jesus had compassion on the crowds. He saw the depressed. He saw the alone, he saw the anxious, he saw the afraid. He saw the widow that nobody noticed, the woman who was forced into prostitution. He saw the Roman soldier that everybody hated and the rich young ruler that everybody envied and the religious Pharisee that nobody could live up to. He saw these people, he saw the crowds, he saw the individuals and he had compassion. And Jesus did what? I think, by the way, it's an invitation to us if we're going to be on point and on purpose as a church, if we're going to live out our mission, if we're going to say, God, where do you have us? Then it's probably wise for us to look at this great passage and say, Lord, can we see what you see? Can we feel what you feel? And can we ultimately do what you do? And Jesus says what? He tells us to pray. To pray that the Lord of the harvest will send out what? What? Two two big words. I'd love for you to circle them if it's your Bible. If it's not your Bible, go ahead and circle it. It's complimentary. Somebody else donated these Bibles. I didn't, not out of my pocket. (laughs) Circle the word, circle the word send. And then circle the word work because he sends out, he wants to send out workers, not consultants, not consumers, not experts. Not supervisors, not spectators, not well-wishers, but workers. And church, let me ask you, what do workers do? Good, not exactly a blue-collar crowd here at Fondren. (laughs) Workers work. I heard it from the second row. Workers, ready? Workers work. That's That's what they do. Jesus said this in John chapter 9 and verse 4. As long as it is day... We must do the work of him who sent me. Those same two words. See, that circle that work. Circle that sent to do the work that he sent me to do. When this book opens up, we learn quickly about a man. In chapter 12, we learn about a man named Abram or Abraham. God gave him a new name and a new mission. And he does what? He says, go. He says, go. As we consider prayerful mission, I want to say to you, Father Church, don't wait on the pastor. Don't be a passive spectator. Don't look to me to do everything, to lead everything. Now, that's a little different. I think you, you, you don't want me up here preaching on gospel enjoyment if you don't see the gospel in my life, or joy for that matter, right? You don't want me preaching on intentional community if we don't circle up on Wednesday nights with, with folks in our home and lead small group, right? You, you, you don't want that. You don't want us talking about prayerful mission if we're never serving. But don't wait on us to do it all. I want to say, church, as you listen to the rest of this sermon, Jesus gives you a green light to go. To go. He wants you to live sent. And he sent Abraham. And he said, go and you'll be blessed. But always, we say this a bunch around here, you're blessed, Abraham, to be a blessing. You're never called to hoard your blessings. Some of you are deeply depressed and unhappy and I cannot tell you about any hormonal balances or neurological things going on or anything like that. I'm a fan of doctors and therapy and medication but I believe that every source of it all, that there's a foundation that is spiritual and some of us are depressed because we're being blessed but we're not blessing others. We're hoarding the stuff that God has given us and we're wanting more and we're comparing ourselves to people who have more and we're depressed. Do you wanna know why you're unhappy? I just told you. You're blessed, Abraham, to be a blessing. There's a man named Jonah. Some of you know the story of Jonah. And Jonah is a picture of the nation of Israel. And this nation of Israel runs from God and the prophet runs from God. And he spends his days as he's running from God enjoying creature comforts, more concerned about creature comforts and personal vengeance than he is about sharing the blessings and mercy of a great God. And later when Jesus comes, Jesus fulfills the old, you know that. You can see Jesus in every Old Testament book and passage. Jesus comes to represent the new Israel and even the the prophet Jonah to represent the joyful prophet who lived sent, who accepted the call to be sent, to bless and bless others, to be a blessing that Jonah ran from. And we see in this gospel of John, I just put one up there, that's John chapter nine, but it 44 times the disciple of love, John, describes Jesus, his Savior, as one who sent 44 times. And one Bible teacher I admire says that all between Genesis 12, when it talks about the scattering of the nations, to Revelation 22, the healing of the nations, it's all about the nations being sent. Do you get that? From the scattering of the nations in Genesis 12 to the healing of the nations in Revelation 22, it's all about the sending of the nations and us living as people who are sent. But something happens to people who are, Desirous to live on mission. Have you noticed that? Something happens over time. It's why each week we've asked you the question Have you ever been involved in an organization, but that experience sours over time because there's no larger mission, motivation, or purpose beyond its own self preservation? What are we doing here? Are we just trying to keep the doors open? Now, some of you are like me, you have a passion for saving this building, right? And for making sure there's a life-giving church here. But there's something beyond that. And there can can be something that happens over time. I think we have a picture of the SS, the United States. I want to tell you a quick story about this this ship. It's the largest ship ever built on American soil. It's 100 feet wider than the Titanic, 990 feet wide. It weighs over 54,000 tons. And it was, it was built to carry a fleet of U.S. naval sailors. It was designed to, to, to go faster and further with more fighters than any boat in the history of the world. There are on this ship a lot of rooms. But no rooms for sailors, the true story about the SS United States is this, what was built on American soil, what was designed to carry soldiers fast and far without stopping for fuel sup- and supplies, to, to be a, a ship like no other. This ship, it didn't carry sailors on a mission. It became a cruise line for celebrities and heads of state, uh, wealthy patrons who were looking for first-class comfort. This, this ship never carried the sailors. It was the first of its kind to, have, to be fully air conditioned. There's over 600 rooms and four dining parlors and uh, three places to uh, have your hair done and your nails. And there's two uh, fully expansive bars in there for drinking and cavorting. This became a luxury liner. It was intended to be on mission. But before long, change of plans, and it just carried consumers. And you can see what can be so obvious, can't you? Jesus built his church with a mission. He said in Matthew 16 when he was talking to his bro Peter, he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. That does not mean some pastors and people have been confused about this. That doesn't mean that every church will keep its doors open. Right, there's one in Seattle that they built their church around a rock star celebrity pastor. They had fifteen to 20,000 people in seven or eight campuses. And one scandal later, it's all shut down. Jesus never gives a promise. If, it's, if it becomes about self-preservation, if we lose sight of the mission, if we become a cruise liner, if it becomes about our creature comforts, what can you give me? Then the church loses its way. But overall, Jesus said the gates of hell Will not prevail prevail against the church. To think about our mission and not losing our way, I think we have to do just what Jesus does here here in Matthew chapter 9. He walked around, he was accessible, he was interruptible, and he seized the crowd. And he's moved to compassion. That Greek word gives the idea of deep in your bowels. You're just, you're just moved. Something is churning and turning within. And you basically have to say, I can't take it. I see that you're here. And like any great leader, and Jesus is the greatest, any great leader will say, the people are here. But we have to get there. Without vision, the people perish, it says in Proverbs. And any movement, any mission that marches forward, that blesses and heals and changes lives usually has a visionary leader or leaders that say, we are here, we are helpless and we are hurried and we are hell bound, but we need to be here where sins are forgiven and guilt is removed and idols are thrown down, where we bring joy to heaven and a little bit of heaven to earth because of what we do. And Jesus is saying, I'm so moved deep within me. I'm so moved by compassion. We cannot stay here. I want to move us there. And the greatest movement ever known started, was birthed out of this. If we were in our town to walk Mississippi, Jackson, and Fondren, we were to do that with Jesus. If he were here, and by the way, I believe he is. If we were to walk with him, would we see what he sees and feel what he feels and ultimately do what he does? And what would he see? Would he be like a president that I admire but made a silly calculation years ago when he stood on a a ship in San Diego related to the war in the Middle East? And he said, mission accomplished. And he was looking like Tom Tom Cruise or something in Top Gun, right? Mission accomplished, but we look back in retrospect and we realize the mission wasn't accomplished. Thousands more men and women would die in battle. Mission not accomplished. And would Jesus, if we walked the streets of Fondren and Jackson with him, would he say to us, mission accomplished? Would he? Or would he say, we've got to go from here to there? Would he be moved with compassion when he sees more people spiritually confused, spiritually confused and isolated than ever before. More marriages breaking up than ever before. More babies being born out of wedlock than ever before. More young girls struggling with eating disorders and the pain of what beauty and significance is in our media saturated world today. Uh, a greater gap between rich and poor growing by the day. Uh, an ever growing chasm between law enforcement officials and the citizens. Would he see uh, more men enslaved to online pornography than ever before? Would he see anxious college students and hopeless high school dropouts and spiritually bankrupt school districts and fear riddling every heart and soul, fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of not having enough money, fear of aging, fear of death? And what would Jesus see? If we walk our town with him, the mission church is not accomplished. You've heard an adage, haven't you? I I bet a lot of you have. Preach the gospel if necessary. Say it with me. You heard it? Preach the gospel if necessary. Use words. Isn't that good? You're afraid, right? It's quaint. It's cute. In our day, it's tweetable. In fact, if you looked at my Twitter feed, maybe I've tweeted that because I've been, I've been, to some extent, inspired by that St. Francis of Assisi. Preach the gospel, if necessary, use words. While it's quaint and cute and probably tweetable, it is wrong. Because what does Matthew 9 tell us? Jesus proclaimed the gospel. You cannot preach the gospel without words. Why? Because there's been only one man in the history of the world who predicted his own death. The gospel is very good news, and it's good news because someone died for your sin and for mine, and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And that is good news. It's an event that occurred in history that must be talked about way better than $1.50 shirts at the cleaners. This is good news, and good news is called to be proclaimed, and you have to use words. Saying that, preach the gospel, if necessary, use words, is like me saying to you, hey, give me your phone number. If necessary, use digits. You see, there's no phone number without digits, and there's no gospel without words. And Jesus used words. And I want to ask you, do you share the good news of Jesus with others? And here's what's great. You don't have to be perfect to do that. You just have to have hope. You don't have to have perfection. You just need to have progression. If there's no progression, there's probably no fruit in your life. I wouldn't share a message of good news that you don't possess because that's fraudulent. But if you're growing and there's progression and you're excited about this message of love in Jesus, then share that with other people. The gospel, it says Jesus proclaimed the good news because he used words, he wanted people to be set free. The gospel is grace and grace is a gift and a gift is to be received. I read this morning, someone put out there on Twitter for people like me, it said there's a lot of insecure pastors who are trying to drum up support and create raving fans for their churches and they're exhausted. And I thought, man, I don't want to be that pastor where we're trying to market or manufacture something and talk about our church and how great we are and raving about Fondren and when we really just need to shut up about our church and share Jesus and the gospel's good news. And when they see that in us, guess what? People are going to want to be involved. Use words. Proclaim a message because it's really good news. In the book of Acts that I've been reading a lot lately, honing in on the story of the gospel from its inception, we see that God cares that these words that are used also have signs. When you say something, there ought to be some signs pointing to the veracity, to the truth of it. Uh, my theology changed when I joined staff with Campus Crusade for Christ and I got out of Mississippi and I traveled the world and I went to places with the Jesus film and I saw people who spoke different languages and dialects and I saw miracles and I thought, oh, I don't know if those miracles still existed. I haven't seen those miracles. But Jesus really cares that there's some signs with the things that we say to validate the gospel message. And in Acts, we see, we see that. We see in Acts when there were Cities where sorcery was a part of it, we see the disciples casting out demons. In towns and villages where there was cruelty and sorrow, we see joy and generosity. In places where the poor were were oppressed, we see them taking a stand for the needy. When there were places where there was racial divide, we see the beauty, the beauty of the unity in diversity of the gospel. In Acts chapter 8, in verse 1 through 4, we see a man named Philip who was living out gospel enjoyment. And it says that he brought joy to the city. And then in Acts chapter 9, we learn about a woman named Dorcas who was also called Tabitha. That's an unfortunate name, Dorcas. Dorcas. You know, if I was Dorcas, I'd just say, "Uh, call me Tabitha. (laughs) And Dorcas, I'm making fun of her, but now I'm not because you know the story of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9. I bet you don't, but in Dorcas, Tabitha, uh, she made coats for those who didn't have coats. Some of you today think, well, I can't stand and preach in front of a large crowd. I can't do certain things that other people do, but Tabitha can make coats and God used her and God was so good to record her prayerful mission in the scripture for us, for some of you, because you say, this is all that I can do. And Jesus says today, making coats is a really good thing. Now, here's the thing. Just as Philip brought joy to the city because of his ministry, it, was, it said that with Tabitha, when she passed away, that they gathered around her bedside and they wept bitterly. Now, I wonder, does Fondren and Jackson and Mississippi, do they rejoice because we're here? And if we were to die would there be weeping would there be a sense of loss or would if we left would it just be one less easter mailer they have to throw in the trash or one giant one less giant piece of property or I should say one more giant piece of property that the city comes to get as it loses its tax exempt status you know we don't pay taxes like you do if you're a business owner around here. So far, we don't. That's the country we live in, praise God. I'm happy, happy for that. But what do we bring? Some would say we're taking. What are we we giving? And I pray that for our church as we continue to engage and more so in prayerful mission. God, what do you have for us that we bring joy to our city? Don't you want that? And if we weren't here, they would miss us. There's an ache in everybody's heart, right? Don't you hate to leave or break up and they don't miss you? Doesn't that stink? You ever been there? You're gone and they don't miss you? That hurts. There's something in us. God has given that to you and to me and collectively as a church to say, hey, let's live in such a way that when we're there, we bring joy. And when we're gone, it hurts. I think of our church and I think of this place that not even a year and a half ago we moved into. And I drove up here yesterday and I saw across the way here a group of young medical students, dental students under the tutelage of leadership of Charles Ramsey being trained to be on mission and they were using our place. Uh, on Thursday, I walked across from my study right behind us here and walked over here to see a group of folks uh, with Ramona Troy and some friends. Brittany Bayless, who went to Bellhaven, is now working for Neighborhood Christian Center. And they're having an after school program right here at our place. A couple of Wednesday nights ago, I went to the gym and I saw people in rows getting food, but we were going to go sit in circles and get in community. And I think of our value of intentional community. I think of what Jesus said long ago what a staggering promise. All of you have heard it where two or three are gathered together and i'm there i'm there in their midst and what jesus said now jesus is always with you but jesus is uniquely present when you're in community and that staggering promise from long ago is still true today and to know that we can have a place where people can connect and find friendships and mentors and people that can be spiritual growth agents in their lives isn't that good now think of the people in Fondren Church. I think of a young lady named Gwen. Her dad, Tommy's sitting in the back right now. I think that Mom, sissy is on her way to Maine. But Gwen came back with Drew Mellon and our team, our Fondren Church team that went over to minister to one of our global partners' hard places in Phnom Penh in Cambodia. And on the flight back home, as I understand it, Gwen just felt a conviction of, I need to go back. Now, who thinks that on a long global flight, like a 20-hour flight, I need to go back. I'm like claustrophobic, get me off of this plane. And she's thinking God is calling her back there. And you know, in just a few short weeks' time, she's trusted God with finances. And she said no to three friends in a beautiful place to live in Oxford, to go back to Phnom Penh, to serve there. And she could be all year, she could be living in a wonderful apartment at Old Miss with three girls. And now she's living, will be living in a city of 2.2 million people where it's extra hot and humid, where there'll be no air condition. She's living in a place with no air condition, no hot water, and bugs will crawl over her at night. Trust me. But she, in, the, in the morning, she'll be teaching English to students. And in the afternoon, she'll be discipling young people at the Boys and Girls Club, most of whom have, been, have come out of sex trafficking or being protected from that in the epicenter. I think of uh, Ben and Katie, who are here on the front row. And some of you, if you've been worshiping down front the last month, you've seen uh, one of their three children um, acting up a little bit. She's expressing herself in worship. I wish she would rub off on some of you, honestly. And a few years ago, let me say, Ben and Katie, we started Fondren four years ago. They've been here for four years. They're some of the most faithful and generous and sacrificial people I know. Because of that, we were motivated a few years ago. Some of you took part in a Fondren cover where we played Beatles, all Beatles, one night at Dueling Hall, and we were able to donate thousands of dollars to help them go over to a cold orphanage in Europe and get a little baby girl named Sophia who has Down syndrome. And They're living on mission. Recently, Ben and Katie sold their house in Belhaven to move right here behind us in West Fondren. Why? To have a ministry, to minister to other kids, and to live a little more like Jesus. Ben tells me that they can see our Fondren Church steeple from their back deck. A back deck and backyard that needs a lot of work, and I can't help but wonder if we couldn't help them, if a small, if a community group or two couldn't come around Ben and Katie uh, unannounced, just show up on a Saturday and do some things around their house that they need done. Specifically, I know that they need help with Sophia. They need somebody. And look, there's hundreds of people in the room. They need one trusted, responsible person that God is calling to pick up and love Sophia on Wednesdays and get her from one place and take her to Willow World to love on her. They're looking for somebody. Don't you think we could do that? Don't you think somebody in this room could pray about that and step up and meet that need? I think so. I think about our partners, local partners, Red Door, Neighborhood Christian Center. We will go, and to some extent, Fondren's First Thursday as we burrow ourselves deeper into this community. I think of our global partners, the aforementioned Hard Places, Matamoras Children's Home, and Restoration Hope. This Thursday night, you'll have an opportunity to come to Dueling Hall. What are do you doing Thursday night? Watching some college football game? Come join us. Buy a ticket today for $15, $20 at the door, or just write a check, write a big check, and you'll help us give $5,000 to our partners, Restoration Hope, in South Africa. We're going to be playing country music on Thursday night. Are you coming to Fondren Covered? I hope you will. What are you doing Thursday night? Not enough of you were doing this. Thursday night, you're going to be at Dueling Hall. When you got staff named Topher Brown, by the way, his name's Christopher Brown, but they started calling him Topher, and you got another staff guy named Will Otis Sanders. You know you can make some good country music, right? And they will they're going to play classic and a little bit of contemporary, but no Florida, Georgia line. There'll be no country rap. None at all. That's abhorrent to God. Do we understand, To? I don't micromanage. you know, I don't. But you can be a part this Thursday night of helping us give thousands of dollars. A way to an organization that we love and that we believe in. And some of you live sent through this organization. Jesus says what? He says the day is short. He says the task is great. The laborers are few. The Lord of the harvest is urgent. Pray, send, work, Let's pretend for a second that you had a stick of dynamite and you lit it and you launched it high up into the sky and it went off. It set off at about 500 feet into the night sky. Was that successful? To some extent, yes. You, you lit up the night sky. There was, um, there was a little bit of shock and awe probably. Was it successful? Yes. Uh, people could see that if it went 500 feet. People could uh, see that for probably five miles. But does it last? Uh, Three minutes after it detonates, there's nothing left. Maybe maybe a puff of smoke and maybe a few curious bystanders looking up at the sky wondering what happened. But let's say you take the same stick of dynamite and you light it up into a mountainside. It, It goes off. It detonates. Was it successful? It wasn't as spectacular. There was probably no shock and awe. There's no one standing around and looking up. But in, I would say in some ways it's more successful because it created a hole in a mountain. When you burrow in, something opens up. I took my boys to a San Diego Padres game this summer. We left from Palm Desert from the Coachella Valley and we drove to San Diego, one of the most spectacular drives on this unbelievable highway. It was 79, 74. Leave it to a wife to correct you. On Highway 74 and... Uh, unbelievable we look in amazement how in the world did they create this they film a lot of car commercials there how in the world did they create this well they put some tnt into a mountain and a, and thousands of people over many many years created one of the most spectacular curvy pieces of scenery in the world they put something in and blew it up and i will say to you this morning as we begin to close that the church oftentimes we look for spectacular displays Look at our serve day. Look at us, we made a video. Look at us, we went into town and we raked and we ran. Dynamite went into the sky. But what's left? But I see over and over in Acts that when they pray and set men and women apart for prayerful mission, that they burrow in, that there's an open door that God prays for. And I'm asking you to say, God, what open doors? What are the open doors? It's not about us being spectacular. It's not about us getting attention. But it's about us burrowing in and seeing something open that wasn't open before. That that we can get closer to lostness. The day is short. The task is great. The labor is a few. The Lord of the harvest is urgent. If you're in a community group and you're doing the sermon series, you'll probably this week, if you connect in a circle somewhere, at a home, apartment, coffee shop, up here, wherever, you'll probably look at this idea of this word redemptive and this word potential. And what I love about potential is Jesus sees, your Savior sees things in you that you don't already see. What is your potential? It's the capacity for impact, for blessing. What what impact, if if we lived, if we lived sent, if we were sent people, what blessings could we bring between the scattering of the nations and the healing of the nations? Redemptive potential, redemptive meaning non-human, redemptive meaning God can bring us back and God can save and he can heal. We spent a lot of time this week looking at a list and wondering who's on the list and nudging people around us and talking about the list. And you can imagine as a pastor, I've sat with a few people who were on the list. And if you're not on that list, you're on another list. Everybody's on a list. It would really mean a lot to me. In fact, I'd shut this sermon down if you just nod your head like this. But all of us are on a list. And the enjoyment of the gospel is we can be who we are and we can come out of hiding. And what we think we're concealing, we can bring it into the light and find the freedom that we need. That's the gospel. Uh, How many of you are dog owners? Raise your hand. God bless you. Your dog's going to heaven, you're going to heaven just by virtue of owning a dog. If the dog is is larger than a toaster, okay? If it's a big dog, you're going to heaven. So is the dog. I'm I'm a big dog owner and, you know, I was looking at the other day and I was like crying. Like, what's gonna to happen to your golden retriever? You know, hip dysplasia and cancer. I'm like, Aah. but you know, a dog never gets an ulcer. A dog doesn't get an ulcer. A dog doesn't ulcerate, a dog doesn't worry like you were. A dog just says, you know what, I'm a dog. There's my master. It's my boy. He doesn't even know I'm a preacher. He ran in the sanctuary yesterday. Sorry, ran up to the balcony. He was up there. But he doesn't know what I do here. I'm just like his guy, you know what I'm saying? And he trusts me. And I spend my time trying to be other things to other people, do you? And make people think things about me. And if I'm on a list, I'm ashamed of myself and I wanna run and hide. If I'm not on a list, I'm proud of myself and I wanna boast, right? I just need to be who I am. And that's the enjoyment of the gospel. I want us to be that kind of church. Picture with me this idea that we're all here today and you're sitting where you're sitting on a wooden pew. Some of you were cushioned softly. Some of you are in the balcony on the last row in a metal chair that if you turned it over, it would say Northside Baptist Church, 1948. How about that? Just an interesting fact. Not pertinent to the sermon. Let's say you are where you are today and I'm where I am today and we're on a ship. This is a ship and it's sinking. It's taken in water and we've hit panic mode and we've hit panic mode because we ought to be in panic mode. It's taken on a lot of water. This thing is sinking fast. Calamity is right in front of us. Everybody's thinking about their last thoughts and prayers and wishes. You're hugging people around you. You're, you're clutching tightly. This thing is sinking But remarkably, we're saved. I don't know how we're saved, okay? I hadn't thought this illustration out much, but just we're saved. And there's a few injuries, but there's no no fatalities and no serious injuries, a few scratches and bruises, but we're all saved. What would the spirit of this place look like? Some of us were wet, by the way. Our blood pressure went up, okay? So we were, were shaken, but nobody died. What would this place be like? What would the spirit in this room be like? Wouldn't we, I mean, I'm just thinking for you, wouldn't we embrace each other? Wouldn't there be an unbelievable gladness, a gladness that you've never really known before? You certainly didn't know a few minutes ago because you were on a nice ship sailing somewhere. And then the specter of death and loss and separation. And I would say to you, that's the kind of church I want us to be. We've been saved. We've been rescued. So I don't need to spend a lot of time in judgment and disdain and superiority over other people and their sins. I need to see this world with the compassion that Jesus sees it. And I think if we're gonna be on prayerful mission. Just like Matthew 9, we're gonna see what he sees. We're gonna feel what he feels. And I pray, church, that we're gonna do as he does. And it's 2015. I don't know how short the days are, but I look out at you I think about this church that's only four years old and I, I, I rejoice and I wonder prayerfully about our redemptive potential as a church. Pray with me.